0: National Catholic Register, this is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the
1: news and topics that affect your life.
2: Ash Wednesday is March 2nd, only a few days away. Do you know what you're giving up for Lent? EWTN's Father John Paul Mary Zeller joins me to help us prepare for Lent. Then we turn to something a little more mundane, pets and their place in our lives. Are pets making our lives better? or are they drawing us away from something greater? Register writers Jonathan Liedel and Peter Jesser Smith share the lessons they've learned in reporting on the value of pets. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. I have the pleasure of being in Birmingham right now at the EWTN studio. Usually I'm from my home studio and that makes things a little more awkward, but I've got guests in the studio today. I get the pleasure of sitting face-to-face with Father John Paul Mary. It's great to have you, Father.
3: It's good to be here. I I haven't seen you in a while.
2: I know, it's been way too long. This pandemic has kept us away from from some true community. Hopefully
3: some normalcy will be entering into the picture in our lives.
2: I agree, the fact that I'm here is one of those elements of normality. So we're also joined in studio by Margaret Day-Mioribus, who is the Register's Operations Manager. And Margaret, you have a history in radio as the general manager of the oldest Catholic radio station in the U.S., in the country. Uh, That is K-N-O-M, Is that's what it's called, in Alaska, Nome, Alaska. So we're delighted to have you sitting in on the show and hopefully uh, joining our discussion. So everyone knows, really, uh, Father John Paul, but I don't know if everyone outside of the EWTN employee community knows that he is our chaplain, and so, in a way, and Father was uh, describing it this way to me the other day, we, the employees of EWTN, are his parishioners. Yep. And, um, and that's a pretty intense, an intense parish.
3: It's a great opportunity. I mean, it's just, for me, I think, um, just looking at it that way and being a priest, and I, I kind of joke, because, you know, a lot of my friends are parish priests, and they see their parishioners uh, th- once a week. Uh, twice a week maybe, at different uh, uh, things going on in the parish. and But I get to see my parishioners uh, all day long, practically. So when they come to work, eight, nine hours a day, I get to come down here and interact with... Uh, the staff here, uh, both Catholic and non-Catholic, right. and it's really an amazing uh, experience. And
2: not only those, but ones like me who work from home, from home. or from different distances, and, and you yes. make every effort to be with us, uh, right. even wherever we are. And and for that, we're really grateful. I know my team is always grateful for our virtual prayer chapel, and you're always following our intentions there and, and um, pitching in your prayers, and that is a huge... Uh, element of our own stability so thank you father you're welcome so the the topic that I chose is preparing for Lent and part of that is because every year yeah. I get you know five days in and I still have not settled <laughs> on what I'm going to do for Lent mm. and and sometimes it's a, you know what am I going to give up because that's always the first thing that people turn to. What are we giving up for Lent? I mean, yeah. if you search that on Google, it comes up so quickly because yeah. it's what everybody searches for. But it's really not about just giving something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about it's about that very thing of making space in my life for God um, and, and recognizing his presence more in my life. So for people like me who kind of sometimes enter into Lent and, um, are, are having a bit overwhelmed a bit already. overwhelmed already, you know, okay. and how do we prepare? What's the best way for us to prepare? And, and, you know, you're running from meeting to meeting today, sure. you know what it's like to be busy. So what, what's the best way for us to, to prepare?
3: Pray first, uh, first of all to really sit down and to have a conversation with the Lord. Um, and especially if you're married. I mean, you're married, Jeanette, you know, to to talk with your husband about kind of a family plan even, mm. a couple plan, and not just being myopic, just focused on me and Jesus, but actually you know, being accountable to another person. Mm. Um, I think that would be very helpful. I think in religious life, we kind of are, are accountable to one another, and we take on things as a community. Together, we do things. But there are things in my life that, I need to come to God first, and to say, "Our right, Lord, what are those things in my life that I need to work on?" Mm-hmm. Um, I could print you out a list, probably, of things <laughs> that I need to work on. But I often tell people to pick one or two things, one or two concrete things that you can really go to work on during Lent, and it has to be it has to start with prayer. That's right. to start with prayer. That's why the church, um, when we talk about uh, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, it's always in that order. Prayer is always first.
2: Absolutely. That's, that's so true and so important because I think sometimes it's easy to make Lent our own kind of detox, right? Like we choose what we want to detox from, but we go about that in a very sort of practical and, and in all honesty, almost selfish way, I know I need to work on these things. Um, to start with prayer means we're starting with somebody else's priorities, right? Uh, I mean, those priorities are His, with yeah, a capital the, H. <laughs> yeah,
3: the Lord's priorities for us. And he, he wants our, you know, integration. He wants us to be, you know, fully alive. You know, what it means to be fully alive uh, in the Lord, um, and oftentimes, I think that begins with making a, a good confession hmm. you know, during Lent. To, to start Lent in prayer, just saying, Lord, okay, I want to start out weeding the garden. And that begins with making a good confession, a good examination of conscience, and coming before the Lord and just saying, I'm sorry for all of these things, Lord. Right. You know, and receiving, you know, absolution and penance and... um. That's always a great start because very often people do this; they make good intentions in the very beginning of Lent and they start out well, and then at the end of Lent, that's when they make their confession. Mm. Mm, No, 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 and that that often happens when we go on retreat too. I've experienced that on retreat. I've waited to the end to go to confession. No, that's not what you're supposed to do. I've learned the hard way. You go at the beginning. And even all throughout, you know at the beginning of Lent, go make a good confession, maybe two weeks in, three weeks in, make another confession, don't wait to holy Week to make a good confession
2: and that's is because of the clean slate, yeah, and it's what it's yeah. the freedom that you get at the very at, at the start at, after making a confession to be able to to see life differently um a lot of times when when we walk out um and also something Mother Angelica would say all the time, um, and and that's about just forgiving yourself and letting go. You know, mm-hmm. not focusing on those sins over and over again, like you've got to fix the problem. Um, so, I think that's, that's, re- that's great advice. That's really great advice to go f- at the very beginning. I want to bring uh, sure. Margaret in, as I said uh, at the beginning. This is Register Radio, and, and a part of the Register team is um, Margaret Demioribus, who's our operations manager. She has some radio experience, um, but like all of us um, at the Register, she's just a Catholic along the journey. And so, Margaret, what, what do you do to prepare?
4: Thanks, Jeanette. So I I think just what Father was saying, sometimes for Lent, we can start off almost looking at it like New Year's goals. We have all these great intentions. We set all of these goals for ourselves, but it becomes a to-do list instead of a to-be list um, Mm -hmm. or how we want to grow in the season of Lent. And I have found I really look forward to this season of Lent because I know at the end of it, there's so much self-awareness that happens, Mm -hmm. so much Spiritual growth that happens, even if I'm not realizing it along the way, but at the end, um, that really does kind of shine through. So for me personally, something I've done over the past, I think just two Lent's now, is I find some some friends, just a small group of good friends, and we do a study together. Whether it's something we come up with ourselves, whether it's something that's published already. And we just each week just check in, how am I doing? Not make it a to-do like we have to read something, but how are you doing this week? What have you learned about yourself this week? How are you growing closer to God? Um, How are you growing in just awareness of yourself during the season spiritually? And that's been wonderful and such a gift because you know for me it's been women, we've done this together, and we're all in different seasons of life. Some are married, some are single. Um, Some have children, some don't. So having even all those perspectives brings a a dynamic just conversation and accountability Mm -hmm. um, for for each of us, which is such a lovely gift. So I think looking forward to getting excited instead of starting to create the to-do list is something Mm -hmm. that's helped me a lot because I know that God is going to be working even in my messiness.
2: That's a great segue to something else I wanted to ask uh, Father John Paul about. Uh, Many years ago, you mentioned uh, Mm -hmm. to me that you did Exodus 90. My husband is doing that for the second time uh, this year. He just started a few weeks ago. I know so many men who are doing Exodus 90. First, a quick what is Exodus, but what are the fruits? It's like Margaret says, it's a a community.
3: Yeah, it is a community of accountability. Uh, I think uh, when men get together... We realize that we can do it on our own um, I think um, Exodus is about deliverance uh, that's where the word comes from the book of Exodus is about deliverance um, the Egyptians being um, you know over you know the Israelites and the Israelites being freed from um, the slavery uh, that they were in and then going through into the promised land and they didn't do it by themselves. They had a group of people with them going into the promised land. And that—that that is what Exodus 90 is about. It's about 90 days of really intense um, prayer, um, working out, uh, accountability. Uh, it's about making self-denials with food, not eating between meals. Uh, yeah, I've done it about... I think, four times now. Yeah, wow. Um, And it's made a big impact in my life. It really has. I went through it with nine married men. I Mm -hmm. was the chaplain. And I took it probably the most seriously. (laughs) As a matter of fact, a lot of people were asking me, like, you're wasting away to nothing. What's happening to you? You lost weight, yeah. (laughs) I lost over 50 pounds. Um, I mean, I got into a time in my life, I was like, you know, a little bit over 225, and I wasn't too bad. But my mom was like, "Yeah." You know, you need to start taking care of yourself. And I was like, yeah, I I do, Mom. And then I prayed about it. I went home and I found this Exodus 90. And it was exactly what I needed in life. It gave a structure um, to my life. And I've taken those principles. And I'm I'm not doing the Exodus 90 now. But I kind of still take those principles. And I'm trying to live those out. You know, in my life.
2: And so much of it is about discipline, and that's something that um, we need um, in life, and it's something that we don't have a ton of um, when you kind of look around at the world. And Mm -hmm. and so, that structure I see in my husband and, and the people, my brother's people I know who've done it, I just see how that discipline gives them a real um, framework for a great purpose. And there's always a why in Exodus. Why are you doing that? And my husband discussed that why with me, because he wanted to make sure that he was doing it for something that was good for all of us. And I really appreciate it. So I, I'm glad that you told me about that. I'm glad that Margaret, you mentioned this idea of community because we need to travel together. It has been a long Lent with, uh, with all of the stuff going on in the world that started with the pandemic and, and all of this, it's been a long Lent. And so we can't do, uh, uh, lent alone. We do it with the church. We do it with the Lord and we do it with our community. And I think um, those are the takeaways for me right right here from the show. But thank you so much for both of you being here. It's, uh, it's, it's so awesome to be in the studio with you and with Jeff. We're going to take a short break uh, and uh, go to our next guest. And we're talking, as I said, about something a bit more mundane, pets. Um, but we're also talking about Uh, value and what we value in life. And sometimes pets can maybe bring us away from the most important values, but sometimes they can draw us toward. And we want to take a look at that with uh, Jonathan Liedel and uh, Peter Jesser-Smith, two great reporters for The Register. This is Register Radio on EWTN. There's more when we return.
1: Pursue what matters most in 2022, life liberty, truth. From the Capitol to the classroom, from the pulpit to the pew, EWTN's National Catholic Register delivers in-depth news, analysis, and commentary through the lens of the Catholic faith. With so much at stake in our country, there's never been a more important time to read the Register. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully.
2: Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I have the pleasure of being in Birmingham today, but I'm talking to my reporters who are out in the field where they live, Minnesota and New York. I'm talking to Jonathan Liedel and Peter Jesser-Smith. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me.
5: Thanks for having us.
2: So the topic is Pets! I mean, how did we come to this? We're talking about pets on Register Radio. We've been writing about <laughs> pets uh, on, uh, at ncregister.com. And I think the conversation actually started before Pope Francis said something. Uh, I think we, we were talking about um, Bishop Flores down in Brownsville um, being a pet lover. And um, and then the, the Pope gave us a bone. <laughs> he, um, he threw us a bone. He said uh, something about um about how people are having dogs rather than children you know they're having pets rather than children and and so we picked up this uh topic and and decided to explore it a little bit is are pets really the cause of some demographic degla- decline and peter this is a topic that the de- demographics and families and um whether we're having children or not is always something you've covered for us um year after year this is a topic you follow what did you find um, in terms of uh, what are the experts saying about, about this comment the Pope had?
0: Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, from you know, people looking at the Pope's comment could, could think that the Pope was indicating that, uh, you know, men and women today are getting married and they're just having dogs and cats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. But um, the, the, the reality is that the, the Pope's own comments were made in the context of trying to encourage couples to be open to life. And specifically, what he was really pushing hard on was adoption, mm. to adopt a child. Because uh, he was saying that that's a situation of injustice, that a child doesn't have parents to, uh, you know, to, to love him or her. So he makes this remark about people having dogs and cats taking the place of children. It's actually a very common stereotype, Mm. Uh, one that's deeply embedded in our culture. So it's it's easy even for the Pope in making a spiritual point to fall into this. You know, the idea that this is simply a lifestyle choice. I mean, I I think a lot of people think of the stereotype of the millennial sipping latte, you know, millennial woman sipping her latte with her fur baby in her purse. (laughs) And it's something we, we laugh about. And you talk to demographers, and they say, actually, that's, that's actually, there's actually a lot more going on there, and it's kind of sad.
2: Right. And so the story that you wrote, um, it's called, on ncregister.com, it's called Pets Replacing Kids, Fur Baby Stereotypes Hides Truth About the Real Causes of Fertility Decline. And, of course, in this, you talk to some of those uh, experts, the demographers. Correct. What, what did they say the reality is in terms of pet owners and kids?
0: Sure. Well, for one thing, pet owners, you're generally in the clear. Uh, pet owners tend to... Not in the uh, doghouse. <laughs> you're not <laughs> in the doghouse. In fact, pet, pet owners tend to have more kids right. compared to the rest of the population. Um, uh, you know, one demographer I was talking with, Lyman Stone, at the Institute for Family Studies, uh, who looks at this, says actually that pet ownership can be more of an indicator that you want to have kids. It's, uh, it's actually people who value animal life over you know human life that tend not to have kids they also tend not to have pets. Hmm. So very interesting thing it's nothing that you know you know at the register we hear something we think yeah we should check that out and this is one of the things where i came in thinking oh this is going to be indicative of cultural things and actually there's a lot more going on. So There are two big forces that are happening. One is, you know, cultural changes. And this more involves, you know, waiting for kids until you're more established. Um, Looking at marriage as a kind of capstone event, um, not like the cornerstone of building your life. Or you've got young adults who actually can't find suitable partners. Wherever they are, they just can't find somebody who prioritizes, you know, having... A marriage and a, a family. And one of the big cultural value changes is not women in the workforce. It's um, it's men prioritizing career and work fulfillment hmm. over family. So that's that's a big that's a big part of it. And and that was surprising to learn. Interesting. Uh, the other part about this is we've got big economic structural changes that are making it just much more difficult. To have kids and to to raise a family, we're seeing it here in the United States as well. And then the modern economic system then creates this this narrative: oh, your company is your real family. Pour all your life-giving and nurturing energy into working for the boss. That's a big reason why San Francisco has a lot of tech jobs. But there's the only most of the new housing is studio and Mm. uh, one-bedroom apartments. Interesting. If you have a kid, you can't have more than one, really. So San Francisco actually has more dogs than children, but Tulsa, Oklahoma, has, you know, has more dogs than San Francisco. And and, 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 and more children.
2: <laughs> so yeah, There you go. Peter, it's fascinating. And I, of course, want people to to read your story. And, and as I said, this is, if you went to ncregister.com and simply in our search bar put pets replacing kids, question mark, you would get this story by Peter Jesser Smith. Very interesting about the real reasons for our uh Demographic decline. Why are people not having more children? And as Peter said, it has a lot to do with economic and cultural changes. Um, than people having pets, of course. But you know, turning back to that subject of pets, um, you know, friend or foe, if if you will, in the long term of life. And uh, and Jonathan, you you took up this very question. Uh, with a bishop who we know is a pet lover, so this is Bishop Daniel uh, Flores down in Brownsville, Texas. Uh, what does what does he have to say about Pope Francis's recent comments?
5: Yeah, well, when Pope Francis made the comments and of course there was a, a bunch of hubabaloo kind of in the <laughs> media about what he said and is he attacking pets? is he attacking the value of pets? Um, just as an opportunity to kind of go deeper and and ask the question, well, what is a, a proper relationship to pets? So Bishop Flores, I think, is just uniquely uh, situated to, to answer this question, because as you pointed out, Jeanette, he is a pet owner. He owns a one-year-old husky named Curiosa. Uh, but additionally, he's also the USCCB's doctrinal head. Uh, uh-huh. So he's the, the head of the bishops uh, on doctrine. He's known for being a very... Uh, kind of rigorous Thomist, so I just thought it'd be really interesting uh, to talk to him uh, to get his reaction uh, from the Pope's comments and also to kind of delve into, if you will, uh, the theology of pets. So it's really a question of of priorities and the point that that Bishop Flores made, uh, you know, he said in, in the West right now we enjoy a lot of economic success and we have the ability in a way we've never had before to almost choose what kinds of relations uh, we enter into, and so he said, the worry is when we might substitute uh, a, a pet for, for another kind of human relation so the yeah so really it 's a question of, of priorities and it 's also a, a question of of sort of um, responding to things and being responsible for them in the way that they 're meant to be uh, inconsistent with their nature right so the danger uh, of substituting pets for human relations, uh, we can see it kind of in, in two ways. Bishop Flores made the point that during the height of, of COVID, isolation and lockdowns and things like that, the number of uh, pet adoptions actually skyrocketed, which he says, hey, that's a, that's a good thing. But after the pandemic began to wind down, something we notice is a spike in the number of pets abandoned. So cats and dogs just left out in the middle of, of, of fields. When we substitute a pet for that kind of human relationship we're looking for, it actually becomes uh, an injustice to to the pet, right? We, we're trying to use it to, to fill something that it's not meant to be filled, uh, and it can be uh, discardable. The other extreme, though, uh, that I've noticed in some Catholic circles is to kind of Uh, you know, almost to kind of poo-poo the idea of pets, right, Mm. to almost say, um, you know, these are just mere uh, matter, mere creatures, uh, you know, that that we shouldn't shouldn't name, for instance, we shouldn't have in our house. Uh, And, you know, I think Bishop Flores said that kind of at the root of both of these perspectives might be uh, this kind of modern idea of power, where we're really reducing an animal which has its own nature its own good its own end just to kind of raw material that we can repurpose for for whatever we want now whether that's the case of doing it to be our our, our fur baby which as peter pointed out is kind of a, an easy thing to poke fun at or the other extreme of just kind of uh, yeah just kind of treating Uh, animals as as raw commodities that we can kind of do whatever we want with. So I thought it was a really interesting point how, yeah, it's not the Pope's comments were in no way uh, an attack on on pets and that unique uh, kind of dynamic we have with them, but really just a matter of uh, kind of integrating and orientating things properly.
2: I love this discussion because this is, I think, where the register is at its best when we take... You know what the Pope has said, and when we take what's out there in the culture, and we really examine it in depth. that's what we're that's what we're here for is to just kind of examine all of this and put context and um and bring the church's rich thought into it. So, Peter and Jonathan, I appreciate so much uh, this conversation. I do not have a pet right now. I am a dog lover, and we're waiting for the right moment to, Get a pet Um, when the kids are a little older, and it's not something that ends up abandoned because we've taken off more than we can chew, and it doesn't chew all the toys all over my floor. So, (laughs) gentlemen, thank you so much.
5: Pleasure. Thank you.
2: Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio. For my producer, Jeff Person, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week... God bless you.
1: For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register
0: Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.